Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. I'll be in Matthew today if you want to join me. My plan, which sometimes is subject to change, is to preach about Jesus every Sunday in the Christmas month, which is December. And um, with this title, with a few subtitles along the way, The King is Coming. The King is Coming. Some of you old folks and people like me who like old folks' music, remember that song from way back in the day, The King is Coming. Uh, there was a day when the world was anticipating the king, the king of kings, and we're gonna look at that today. While you're turning there, it's um, a difficult book to find in the New Testament. It's the first one there if you're struggling, and you may be. First one after that blank page. Matthew chapter 1, and we'll be in verses 18 through 25. While you are turning there, I want to say a couple things. Um, people have already acknowledged how beautiful the church is. Um, I don't know where she is or if she's here, but Chrissy Berryman is the, um, the engineer behind all this. She has a lot of elves that help her, but um, she and many women, I, maybe a couple men, but I saw a whole team of Ladies here a couple weeks ago do a lot of work to make the church look so Christmassy, and we appreciate that for sure. We've got one, two, a lot of real poinsettias down front from Patterson Farm. Taylor Patterson, Patterson one of our members um, in Patterson Farm, donated those. Uh, if you're looking, ladies, for a day to show up for church during Christmas, next is it next Sunday? I put it in my calendar. We're going to give these away. They're real, and... Um, we're going to give those away, the, um, the oldest, the next to the oldest, the next to the next to the oldest, the next to the next. No, just kidding. So you can take those home with you. Um, I'm a poinsettia fan. My wife laughs at me. My feminine side comes out during Christmas. You get poinsettias. And, um, but we'll give those out. Tonight we're having our candlelight communion service. I trust that you'll be here for that. And um, Carson Honors Course will be here. Megan's Course will be here and sing for us at the beginning. And then we'll um, have communion a little later and end with a candlelight service. I trust you'll be here for that. And a um, lot going on. Let's not just show up and go through the motions. Let's pray to God that he's honored and glorified and much happens for his glory during this month. Would you stand as we go to the Lord in prayer, no, and read his word, and um, as we honor God's word, it is the absolute truth. Today's passage is a familiar passage, of course. It's Matthew's dissertation, if you will, his introduction of baby Jesus to Joseph, and um, it's a familiar passage, and a lot of times we read a passage that we know and we miss a lot of really, really important truth. And in this message, this angelic 
message to Joseph. There is a multitude of foundational doctrine that is essential to Christianity. And we want to look at that today. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, this is how it happened, when as his mother Mary was espoused or engaged to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, notice this is legally binding, being a just man, a righteous man, a believer, and not willing to make a public example of her, was minded to put her away privily. King James says, secretly. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, shall be with child, and she shall bring forth the son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. God, no doubt there are believers all over this room, people listening to this message, who say they believe your word is absolute truth. And today, may we see this passage not as just some nativity story, but for the truth that it contains of who your son Jesus really is. And maybe if there's one here today who's never put their faith and trust in Jesus, your son, made him Lord of their life, may they be convicted by your Holy Spirit today and receive the greatest gift that's ever been given, the gift of eternal life. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I said earlier, this is Matthew's writing announcement of what the birth of Jesus would be like. Just for historical context, uh, there's only two of the four gospels who provide the, the birth narrative, so to speak, Matthew and Luke. Charlie Brown's favorite was Luke. I like Matthew a little better. John is the theologian of the gospel writers, and um, he just doesn't talk about the wise men or Mary, Joseph, and camels and mules. He just says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. There, that's enough. Let's get to the point. Mark is the, my favorite gospel because he's quick. He's the cliff notes of all the gospels, and he just forgets about Jesus' birth and just moves on. No, he I'm sure he didn't forget. But Matthew, and this is interesting, this is worth noting for context. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. Matthew represents Christ as the king. Luke later, and we may be there next week with the announcement to Mary, 
Luke is writing to a different audience and he's writing to really a, a non-Jewish or a Gentile audience and he represents Jesus as the son of man. Luke talks more about the humanity of Jesus where here Matthew talks more about the royalty of Jesus. Even when those who put the 66 books together uh, understood this, they included Matthew as the first gospel because it was a direct link between the Old Testament prophecies of the King, the Messiah, who is promised to come, even though Mark was most likely written before Matthew. They placed Matthew there so that it was a direct correlation and a direct link between the promised Messiah and here he is. Think about it. Even the, this is boring, but maybe you'll appreciate, genealogies. I have a funny story about my family's genealogy. I won't tell that now, but um, it stopped abruptly when they found some people they didn't like. So they stopped. <laughs> but Matthew's genealogy actually is even different than Luke's. Luke starts with um, Adam and Eve, or starts with Joseph and goes to Adam and Eve, representing the humanity. Matthew begins his genealogy of Jesus with who? Abraham. So a Jew who's reading and flips over to Matthew, uh, here's this direct link between this prof prophesied Messiah. Um, I'm a Jew, we're looking for the king. Hey, he's the son of Abraham. Got their attention. Father Abraham had many, everybody. No, don't. And so he, he gets their attention and says, this is the king, this is the Messiah you've been waiting for. He's from the line of Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant. This is interesting, it's worth noting, it's part of the context of Matthew and his birth announcement discussing or showing us the announcement to Joseph, who I'll just throw this out there, when the angel actually talks to Joseph, did you notice, I think it's in verse 20, what he referred to Joseph as, thou son of David? Matthew points out that Joseph is in the lineage of King David. Joseph actually was a legitimate man who was in the line of King David who could have been king, which is perfect because as more I study scripture, the more I realize God kind of knows what he's doing. Like he's pretty sharp. We think about the prophecies that were fulfilled and, and Matthew refers to this Davidic line and I'll get ahead of myself if I keep going there. But I want us to look at this text specifically today, maybe in a different way than we ever have before, uh, not to change anything, but to really set the tone and the context of what happened. I could spend the next hour, potentially, um, maybe it wouldn't be worthwhile, talking about this prophesied Messiah, the connection between the Jews between this nation who is expecting a Messiah. Messiah really is the anointed one, the expected king. And for thousands of years, I've, I've always loved the idea of thinking about these Jewish children and how the, the Bible stories were different for them than it was for us. And we hear Bible stories and Jesus is here. They hear Bible stories that he's coming. And how they longed for this deliverer, this political deliverer, this financial deliverer, this um, military deliverer, this king to come and rescue them from the bondage that they've experienced since the beginning of time, basically. 
and how they long for it. History actually records that many Jewish children named their son Jesus because of the anticipation of the promised Savior, Messiah. There was a lot of Jesuses around Jerusalem back in the day. Actually, archaeology confirms that. Think about Joseph and Mary. Now, today we're going to look at Joseph's announcement, the angel's announcement to Joseph. Joseph was a carpenter. Most of you, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know, carpenters were on the, the low scale of wages and living. They were down there with the shepherds. Maybe they were a little notch above the shepherds. Joseph was a carpenter. Although he was in the lineage of royalty in King David, he was a lowly carpenter. He's engaged, the, the word there is betrothed, be, uh, betrothal. He is legally engaged. It's his, it's his binding as marriage, usually about a year's period of time. Mary and Joseph are together. We understand that Joseph was a righteous man. He was a just man. The scripture tells us that. That word just there is the word for, like we would say someone's been declared righteous. They're a believer. They've, made their, they've trusted in Yahweh. They are, he's a born-again believer before born-again believing was a thing. Obviously, in Luke, Mary was hand-selected by God. These weren't two... How should I say this? Uh, useless to the church people. That was, that's modern day. These, these were dedicated believers. The message behind that, we won't go there today. They're in a, an, an engagement period. This is serious to them. They're followers of Yahweh. They're believers. They're righteous. They're just. They're doing this the right way. They've never been together in a way that produces babies. We have a mixed audience here, so I'm being careful. And Joseph discovers, is the word there used, that she is great with child. Now, when we tell the story at Christmas and we read the story and we have Christmas pageants and all that, it's like a, like a made-for-church Hallmark movie. I read the scripture and figure this, this was not a everybody's happy meeting. Now, I'm not gonna read between the lines because there's not a lot said there, but I want us to notice, because this is the announcement to Joseph, really what happened in the context in which we get these verses that teach us so much about Jesus. Before they came together, which, once again, that's the King James way of saying, uh, it's not saying before they ever met. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, that's verse 18. I want to make this very clear. Matthew is writing to the Jews, and he's acknowledging she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. That's before Joseph was introduced that she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. That of the Holy Ghost part is kind of parenthetically to us and to the Jews who are reading. When Joseph first found out, it wasn't that he found out of the Holy Ghost. He just found out 
probably she's about four months pregnant based on the timeline that she spent three months with her cousin. Y'all with me? She got a little budge or bulge or whatever that's called. And he finds out. The word there is discovered. Now, my mind's wild. It goes all over the place. I've been this week, as I've studied and read and read behind other, my mind's been living this out. What did this look like? How did he find out? Did somebody post it <laughs> that wasn't supposed to tell? I don't know. Found with child, discovered with child. They're married. They're engaged. This is a legal binding under God, under law contract and she is great with child, and he ain't got nothing to do with it. And once again, let's take off our spiritual Sunday school hats for a second. This had never happened before. Footnote, never happened again either. He discovers, and she says, what does she say? We don't know exactly. It was just discovered. So you can read into it how you want to. What is going on? What, what, or did you eat the whole time you were with Elizabeth and Zacharias? Who knows? But it was discovered. Then Joseph, her husband, verse 19, after it was discovered, decided, now notice the, in between the two, what's that called, a comma? Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, decided to not make a public example of her. Oh, there's, there's really like a 30-minute sermonette in Joseph's response to this. Joseph, when he makes, in verse 19, Joseph is not aware of how this happened in verse 19. This is important to understand. This is just a practical principle for a lot of us really, really spiritual Christians to follow right here. Joseph has not yet had his encounter with the messenger of God. He's only discovered that his wife, who he's never touched in a way that produces babies, is pregnant. And in verse 19, he says, um, well, God says he's a just man, didn't want to make a public example of her, which was completely okay. It's what was expected to make a public example of her, and eventually she would be stoned for what she had done. This was the Levitical law. This is the Deuteronomical law. This was understood that, hey, we bring her out, we make a public example of her, kind of like the, the lady in John chapter eight, but Jesus handled it differently. Here's Joseph handling it differently. We have to understand, we must realize that because of his devotion to God and his devotion to Mary, he knew it was wrong. Remember, verse 20 hadn't happened yet. He knew this was messed up. He didn't just say, oh, this is all right. I'm sure it's God's will. He says, I'm gonna do what I'm legally okay to do, but I'm not gonna make a public example of her. I'm gonna divorce. The word, the word what happens there, he divorces. He makes up his mind he's gonna divorce her, but do it secretly. 
completely acceptable, but definitely not as much as could have happened. And I, I can't read this, I can't study this, I can't preach this without being convicted and reminded and reminding us. Number one, God doesn't always work the way we would like for him to work. We'll talk about that briefly. But it's not our job as righteous, God-fearing, God-honoring men and women to make public examples of people even when it's acceptable to the world. There's only one judge, James says, and it's not any of us. And it's not a spiritual gift, no matter how much you think you have it. If anybody had a reason, legally and spiritually, to make a spectacle of Mary, it was this guy, Joseph. But because he was a just man, he responded differently than the world. Anybody want to grunt, holy grunt there and I'll move on? That's convicting. It's convicting. But we just people respond differently than the unjust. We righteous respond differently than the unrighteous. Is everybody at least to the point to where Joseph is having a hard time dealing with this. He's struggling. He's trying to rationalize this. He loves this woman. She's of God. The marriage is of God. They're engaged. It's legally binding. But now she's pregnant. This is a big deal. And then we get into the rest of the text where the angel of God, the angel of the Lord, appears to Joseph. I don't want to preach something in that's not there, but I think there's a, a message in this that when we don't understand what's going on, and we've been doing things right, trying our best to do things right, and things don't happen the way it ought to happen, um, we need a word from the Lord. And there's only one place to get it. Let's just remind everyone. There's only one place to get a word from the Lord. And it's his word. And there's no question that many of us, right this minute or last week or last month or last year or next week, we've been in positions where something's happened and we, we knew we were trying our best to live right, to do right, but something just went foul and we don't understand. Let's not, men, I'm gonna preach to us because I got convicted about this too. Joseph didn't respond like most of us men and just, bam, quick decision. The verse says, in verse 20, what does it say? But while he thought on these things, while he considered these things. Now, many of us are considerers. I'm one. I consider a lot of things. But I sometimes act too quickly before I've considered. I'm probably one of three or four of us who do that but the rest of you, good for you. We're, your wives appreciate you, I'm sure. You're perfect. We long to be like you. But in this announcement, there's gonna be three really foundational truths about this promised baby. This baby that Joseph's having a hard time wrapping his mind around how this happened. And I want us to see these three characteristics, if you will, 
these qualities of this baby, that in the announcement from the angel to Joseph, we learn. Now, I'm going to throw this out there before I forget and quit. These are essential characteristics of this baby, Jesus. First of all, we see in verse 20 that Jesus is sinless. While Joseph is considering, thinking on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. I'll stop there. Once again, he's considering. The angel of the Lord appeared. Uh, just for context, I have to help us all out because I understand people's thoughts of angels. And I don't like most people's thoughts of angels. But it's Christmas time, and some of you have them on your tree, and I don't want to make you upset. So it's just my personal biblical view. But for context, and context only, an angel of the Lord, what, what's the word angel mean? It's messenger. An angel is a messenger of the Lord. Now let's just relax. And anybody imagine Joseph, this guy's stressed. This guy's sweating bullets. This guy's serious with God and trying to consider and ponder what to do. And then floats this little, chubby, naked, butterfly wings angel in, buzzing like a hummingbird to provide for Joseph what he needs to make the right decision. That's one. Or how about, this is where, this is where I'm going to make some enemies. Me and my mom had these discussions, so if I can make her mad about it, I don't care if you get mad about it. Joseph's struggling, and in walks this five foot nine, slender, white, long-haired, and white, pearly, sequiny dress, lady angel, with huge seven foot tall wings, going slowly. <laughs> Joseph, let's talk about this. Now, I'm being kind of silly with that, but the world has messed up our view of God's messengers. Matter of fact, now, I can see, now, we all know the truth that usually when angels show up, they have to say, don't be afraid. Now, I can see where a little chubby, naked might make you a little, but you'd probably swat it like a gnat. You wouldn't be afraid. Or some flowing beauty pageant angel with white hair, kind of like Frozen, comes in, and you're like, whoa, that's scary. No, these are messengers of God, many times with swords, doing business. Whoa, whoa, what you doing here, bro? I didn't have my AR ready. No, it's that kind of stuff. These are warrior angels. These are God's messengers, not Cinderella's messengers. And this guy shows up. I said, guy, this man shows up, this messenger of God shows up to speak for God. That's what we have to understand. This is not some 
fairy that popped out of a, a jar somewhere. This is a messenger sent from God to give Joseph God's word because church, what we need when we're in these kind of situations is God's word. I think I've said that before. While he's thinking, the angel, the messenger of God shows up. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. Here's why. This is what Joseph needed to hear. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Stop, time out. Boom. Really? Remember, this isn't a guy off the street or a guy in Walmart telling Joseph. This is the word of God from God saying, Joseph, there's so many connections here and I'm not trying to overdo it. We've gotta be right with God. We gotta be just, righteous, in tune with God to hear God and what he has to say. And that makes the difference. This was not a flippant decision. This was a decision that had to be made and he was struggling with divorcing his wife. But God said, don't be afraid to marry her. Because God said, that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. Never happened before. Never been explained. Now, if I wanted to detour and go down a bumpy dirt road today, we have a lot of liberal antichrist scientists and doctors who are trying to make people have babies that are miraculous. But don't believe this nonsense. That biology class you took in middle school is still true. Biology didn't change because God's the God of biology. Throw that out there. God's the God of science. That stuff didn't change. And they can't make babies out of nothing. So don't you be buying those magazines and reading those articles and believing it. I would never do something like that. You put a pregnant man on the front of a magazine that sells more copies than anything ever. I gotta find out how this happened. I'll tell you, don't buy it, I'll tell you how it happened. He's an idiot was the first prerequisite. <laughs> Never happened before. Never happened again. This is, not, this is not something that would make any rational sense. That which is conceived in her, that which made the baby, is God, the Holy Ghost. This messenger provided Joseph with the most essential characteristic of Jesus, which conveniently provided the most essential assurance to Joseph as to why he should marry Mary and not divorce her. This baby is from the Holy Ghost. This baby is conceived of God, what does that mean? That means that this baby, Jesus, is, will be, still is, sinless. By being born of God and not born of Joseph, he avoided sin nature. Jesus never sinned. Well, this is a Southern Baptist conservative church. Certainly, I believe that. I trust that you do. From the very beginning of the announcement of baby Jesus, 
we are told by God, through God's word, that this baby is absolutely perfect. Never sinned. We've got people all over saying, we believe the sinlessness of Jesus. But you'd be amazed, maybe, at how many so-called believers or Christians are trying to undermine the sinlessness of Jesus. Even certain versions of scripture who change words and many, some will use young girl instead of virgin. That which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. There had been other miraculous births. Even in the text in Luke, well, even in Matthew, we see this corresponding where John the Baptist is born. Both of them are old. She's barren. But yet she, they have a baby. Abraham and Sarah, both old. She's barren. God promises she has a baby. But there was still a mom and there was still a dad. There's a difference in a miraculous conception and an immaculate conception. Jesus was perfect. Even in the genealogy, we hear this one begat this one, this one begat and this one, this one begat this one, but Jesus was the only begotten of the Father. In John chapter one, verse 14, the theologian John says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. In Romans, Paul teaches that we're all born into sin all born from Adam and Eve, and we inherit a sin nature. This is a very foundational gospel truth that the world, every person that's ever lived was born into sin and in need of salvation from their sin, but there was only one who was sinless, and his sinlessness made it possible for him to be that savior to save us from our sin. He who knew no sin, Paul said, became sin for us. He was tempted, the writer of Hebrews said, in every way that we've been tempted, yet without sin. I was amazed in college and seminary and still amazed today at some people who just, I think, don't have enough hobbies and just sit around and think of things to argue about. Well, could Jesus have, here's what I know. He was tempted in every way that we were tempted, yet he never sinned. He was born sinless. He had an opportunity to sin, but he didn't. Oh, that one messed people up. Really? Could he? We'll talk about that later. And he, John said, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. He was Sinless. And because he was sinless, we see verse 21 that he is Savior. She shall bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Savior, Yeshua, Joshua, Savior. 
It is important. I've already alluded to this, that the Jews throughout centuries were looking for a savior. They named their children Jesus because it meant savior. They looked for a savior. Remember the Palm Sunday? Jesus rides the donkey and through the Palm Sunday road up into Jerusalem. Remember what the people were saying? Hosanna, Hosanna, what? Save us, save us. For thousands of years, they were longing for a savior. This Messiah is here. Some believed and some didn't. They were saying, save us, but they were saying, save us from bondage. Save us from these political rulers. Save us from this financial bondage. Save us militarily so that we can be free and have liberty. They wanted a savior, but they didn't really know what they needed saved from. There's a great connection today. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that are looking for salvation but don't know where to find it and what they need saved from. There's a lot of people that have been, that buy into Christianity. And I'm not gonna go back and talk about our friends and our false prophets. But there's a lot of people that buy in to salvation because they've been sold by a TV salesman that if you get into this, you get salvation, you get free. And you're healthy, wealthy, and wise. He didn't come to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. He came to save us from our sins. There is no gift greater than salvation from your sins. There's no need greater than salvation from your sins because we're born into sin and there's none righteous, no, not one, and the wages of sin is death. He came to save us. It's hard for us to even imagine thus have been in church for any amount of time and Bible students that, that the Jewish people could have a misunderstanding about their salvation and need for it. They lived through and experienced the sacrificial system, which was a perfect picture of their need for salvation from what? Sins. Take this spotless, perfect lamb and sacrifice him to cover your sins. They, they heard it, they lived it, but they never made the connection, many of them, that they truly needed a savior for their sins even though they had many, if not all of them, lived it out. How conveniently that one of Jesus' first introductions, I I love John the Baptist, by the way. I I don't know him well, personally, but what I know of him, I, I think he'd be fun to hang out with. You remember how he introduced Jesus? He was preaching, repent for the day of the Lord is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's baptizing people and they're believing under repentance for their sins. They've never seen Jesus before. Hey, there's one coming that'll baptize with fire, but I'm baptizing with water. Uh, he's so great, I can't even tie and untie his shoes. He's so perfect. And then, boom, here comes Jesus. Stage right, curtain opens, and he walks in. And he says, behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. From the very beginning, he was introduced as the perfect Lamb, the one who came to be sacrificed to save you from your sins that you're repenting for as I baptize you. They had lived out the sacrificial system but missed their need for salvation. Such an application of how many people are missing out today on what they truly need. But they're going through the ritual. They're going through the ritual of church. They're a member of a church. They're active in a church and they profess to know Jesus but they've never repented of their sins and experienced salvation from their sins. 
Paul said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we, can, we might be made known his righteousness. Peter said it best in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, for as much as you know that believer, you and I, we weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. Vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but no, we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He was sinless, and his sinlessness made it possible for him to be our savior. And Paul said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, of this sinless savior, whoever calls on him and acknowledges that he is sinless, that he was sinless, and that he was the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world, whoever calls on Jesus, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, saved from their sins, shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. This message to Joseph teaches us that he was sinless and that he was savior, and lastly, that he is sovereign. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, Isaiah 7, 14. In verse 23, we see Matthew quote Isaiah, which he quoted Old Testament quite often. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Bring forth a son and call his name Emmanuel. We sing Emmanuel. We never say Emmanuel until it's Christmas time. We understand that. There's only two times that we see Emmanuel in the Old Testament. It's spelled with an I if you're searching instead with an E. And it's in Isaiah 7, 14 and the next chapter, Isaiah 8, 8. And I don't want to belabor the point, but this sinless Savior was not just another man. He was God. He is God. Jesus is God. And this passage and this Christmas, we sing songs that we usually don't ever think of, that God is with us. God with us, Emmanuel. Of course, Matthew quotes Isaiah, a fulfilled prophecy. There are over 300, 300 Old Testament prophecies about the birth of Jesus, just about the birth of Jesus, and guess what? They were all fulfilled, because he was born, just as Scripture said. Not just about where he was born, like Micah 5, 2, that he was born in Bethlehem, but how about in Genesis, the very beginning, that he would be of the seed of Abraham? In Genesis 49, that he would be from the tribe of Judah. Micah, that he's Bethlehem. 2 Samuel 7, that he would be from the family of King David. And Isaiah 7, 14, here, that he would be born of a virgin. Call him Emmanuel because he is God with us. He is sinless. He is Savior. He's sovereign because he Jesus is God. Say, man, I didn't know I was coming for a Christmas Sunday school lesson this morning. Listen, though, we are surrounded by people in the world 
who don't believe unto salvation because they don't believe that Jesus is God. Their religion's going to hell by the millions because they don't acknowledge that Jesus is God. And we work with them and we go to school with them and we shop with them. That's just too narrow. I think we've covered that a few times. It's a narrow gate that leads to eternal life. Jesus is the only way. The only way Jesus could be the only way is for him to be God, for him to be sinless, for him to be our savior. That's why he's the only way. No one else has ever claimed to be all those things. No other religion has a savior who claims to be all of those things. And furthermore, when we think of Emmanuel and every other world religion, even the largest to the smallest, and every other world religion, somehow the people are coming to God to please God. Only in Christianity does God himself come to man. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, creator, sustainer of the universe, humble himself in the form of a poor baby with poor parents in the most unlikely way to be born in a manger, surrounded by animals, in the filth not just of a barn, but in the filth of a sinful humanity. He came to us to save us. No other religion, no other some type of believer can say their God loved them enough to send his only son, the only begotten of the Father, to earth to us, that whoever places their faith and trust in his sinlessness, in the fact that he is savior, in the fact that he is divine God, that whoever places their faith and trust in him can have everlasting life. No other religion allows their God to die in our place. All of this truth is in the message of the angel of the Lord to Joseph. I personally think that's pretty convincing while he was pondering what to do. And he, he was close enough to God that he heard what God said in verse 24, says he woke up and questioned God. No, he woke up from his sleep and took unto him his wife. Knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And guess what? They called him Jesus, just like he was told. Would you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? This is a very simple passage with a wealth of doctrinal, foundational truth. There's only a simple question. The question is not, did Jesus come to be savior? Because he did. The question is, have you made him, accepted him savior? Have you come to the place in your life, like I did and many others here, who understood that they were a sinner? Not because they were a mean person or because they had sinned, but because they were born. And as scripture teaches, we were born into sin, separated from God. 
Why would Jesus come for the sins of the world if the world had not sinned? Because we're born into sin. One of my, I'll use this word lightly, but one of my fears as a Christian, as a Christian pastor, is how many people will miss heaven because they never fully understood the biblical truth of why they needed to be saved. That may sound simple, it may sound complex to you, but as a pastor, that's usually, that's one of my biggest fears, is that people will leave this earth by death or rapture from a, or by second coming, meet God sitting on a church pew when they never accepted the foundational doctrinal truth of why they needed to be saved. All of that was presented in Joseph's announcement by the angel. He's God. This baby that we're celebrating is God. He was sinless. He was persecuted. He was made fun of. He was ridiculed and he had every judge, every worldly right to potentially sin because of how he was mistreated. Yet the Bible says that everywhere he did, he did good to all men. Never sinned. Tempted, but never sinned. Because he was the only perfect sacrifice for our sin. And he became sin for us. If you trusted him today for that, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for a clear word that teaches us, that reminds us of these principles of who your son Jesus really is. And God, if nothing else happens, may this reminder today just encourage us as we celebrate your first coming in a season we call Christmas. May every believer just have a renewed desire to worship you for who you are and what you've done in our lives and what you can do for the lives of whoever calls on you. And I pray today if there's a person here, someone watching, someone listening, and they've never acknowledge you as Lord of their life, never been born again, God, I pray today would be the day. Not because of something I've said or something they heard somewhere else, but because of what you've said in your word that they see their need for salvation. They acknowledge you, make you Lord of their life, have their lives radically changed. We ask this in Jesus' name. While we sing, if that's you. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.